0: to the Biocharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. Today, we have Curtis Stone from all the things. (laughs) I've had Curtis Stone on here before, and uh, he is launching a new program that will help you survey your property. This is something I do professionally for construction, so it was really wonderful to have a master permaculturist and master farmer have the capacity to actually look at our prop at my property and (laughs) I have to admit I was a little bit nervous I thought oh did I did I do it right but I I knew in my heart of hearts that uh, we made the right decision so Curtis is launching a program and it's a it's an educational module it's I think he said it was 31 hours so <laughs> you're going you're to learn the A to Z of how to look at a property and what to consider. This is absolutely essential for those of you that are looking for properties. And it's also essential for those of you that are in any of the industries of like landscaping or moving earth or doing anything where you're having to manage properties for others, um, a lot of what I've been doing professionally in the last 15 years has been land management and so this course covers it all as you'll see in this podcast. Um, it's it's wonderful. He has a lot of this stuff in little bits on his on his app from the field TV. Uh, dot TV um, but this this course will give it all to you in one big shot and then you'll be able to reference it over and over again. This is—he's uh, actually giving all of my audience a a discount. It's an early uh, early bird special for those of you that want to uh, to partake. I think it's like fifty percent off, so that's really good. And if you go through the affiliate link that I have set up, and um, a little bit comes back to the Biocharisma podcast. So thank you all for joining us. We're still going to have our our Friday scheduled uh, podcast, which is massive. Um, (laughs) I might split that up into two parts, but here's a little extra ditty for you guys to listen to. And if you have the option to watch this one, it's really cool. The visuals of looking at our property, looking at the topography, you will really enjoy. So thank you. I'm back with my main man, Curtis Stone today we're just talking a little little bit about our our spring repertoire that we're that we're getting into and uh so yeah man they haven't been doing much here either Curtis and I gotta tell you I'm loving it these deep blue skies with real clouds I'm like I'm making as much biochar and planting as much as I can
1: yep oh it's so nice when you see it it's just been such a relentless campaign with the chemtrailing it's just it's pretty demoralizing at times. Um, but what are you going to do? Right. It's like, we're all living this experience and if we don't make the best of it, then they win twice, you know?
0: Right. Hold on one second. Yeah. Yep. All right. Good stuff. <laughs> so you're, you're going to release a, a educational pod here pretty soon here, right? Like a course that you're going to be doing.
1: Yeah. How about you
0: you tell my audience a little bit about it?
1: Yeah. It's called finding the perfect homestead property. And, uh, uh, before I get into it a bit more, if people want to support you and me, I've given, uh, Christopher an affiliate link. And so he gets 50%. So if you take my course through his link, he makes some money and I make some money. And so it's the win-win. Um, but yeah, what what we've done is, um, you know, I I I've I wanted to do this course for a long time. I wasn't sure how it was going to go because I've spent so much time over the years consulting for people who were looking for land and who wanted to set up mostly a farm. That's most of my experience, you know, commercial farming, but small scale farming, which often tied to a homestead. So people call that farmsteading. Mm -hmm. And that's, that was kind of the vast majority of my consulting for 10 plus years. And I've learned so much about how to read the landscape and how to pick winners with, with land. And so, you know, clients would often send me, they'd say here, here's a handful of properties that we've kind of boiled down, you know, charge us a couple hours or a few hours, however long it takes and just go through these and give us an assessment of these properties. And so I just done this for so many years. And it was quite a you know a profitable endeavor. I charge people four hundred bucks an hour to do this, mm-hmm. uh, and just to consult in general. I don't consult anymore. I just don't have the time. But but because I did this for so long, I realized that there is an opportunity to teach people what I've done and what I've learned, so that they don't have to come to me to consult them because uh, I can't do it for everybody. And um, it could also help a lot of people really quickly. And so basically. What I've done is I've put together this course that's so far, we're almost finished editing it. It's about 31 hours of content so far. Mm -hmm. This is huge. And what I do is I lay down first a framework that we use to evaluate a property. So I go through these kind of these uh, 13 things um, and basically what they, they start with um, your context. That's the, that's the lens, which, you know, if anybody who's, into permaculture they know that that is everything and so so we start with and I give people some you know some guidance on how to consider your context what how do you want to live on the land what do you want to do on the land and then kind of write a synopsis get together with your spouse your partner your community your mom and dad whoever you're doing this with and write kind of like a synopsis on your what you want on the land and then go through and lay down things that are negotiable and non-negotiable for you Mm-hmm. And so that just comes down to I do not want to live on a major highway. That's non-negotiable. I want south aspect, but I'm okay if it's a, a slight variance of it. I do not want a north aspect. You know, these are examples of non-negotiables. Then, then the then the next thing. So that's number one. Then the next thing you do, once you've looked, you, you've done some broad looking at properties, and then you've got sort of a list that's you want to further evaluate. Then the first thing you do when you look at that property, and I think we're going to do it with your property, which yes. might be kind of fun. Yes. Um, is that we look for threats. And so then you kind of just go through, zoom out a little bit, we'll do it with your place. And you see, is there any, you know, dicey big ag around you? Or is there any industry that could be a risk to you? Um, things like that. So the idea is that you go through those two filters of your context and identifying threats to basically eliminate 90% of what you look at. Mm-hmm. Then, when you have a short list, then we go through what's called the eleven scales of permanence. And so this was first developed by a guy named P.A. Yeoman, who's if you're into permaculture is is kind of one of the founders, kind of like Fukuoku, uh, you know, One Straw Revolution, or or even Joel Salatin or Bill Mollison. P.A. Yeoman was a really epic guy who came up with this framework on how to analyze based on his, when he did it. It was eight criteria, but then these two permaculture guys, Eric Townsmere and or, uh, uh, David, what are the Dave Jackie and Eric Townsmere came, added 11? So they kind of made it a bit better. And so we go through climate, landform, geog- uh, uh, water, socioeconomics, access to circulation, vegetation and wildlife, microclimate, buildings and infrastructure, zones of use, soil, aesthetics and experience. And we can essentially do all of that from Google Earth Pro. And we'll do a bit of that today. And so what I show and, and the, there's no there's not that much value in the framework to be honest because that's open source go and take that if you don't want to take my course I, I don't care if that can help you great but the value that we that we really produce in the course is that I analyze 52 properties across North America mm-hmm. pretty much every Canadian almost every Canadian province and and American state in the continental US zone USDA zones three through nine we go through a huge, collection of properties and I do about a probably on average a 20 minute analysis of each property mm-hmm. going through this framework and you know when we did this I I I basically had to look at hundreds of properties to find violet I'm just I'm in, I'm in a podcast the what did that's okay sweetie that's great um the pond is overflowing at the rain so that's a good thing Very um good. yeah and so um we, you know, w- w- when we go through all of these properties, we do a full analysis. And, and I didn't just pick arbitrary properties, it's not like we just went on Zillow or realtor.com. And just, oh, yeah, hey, let's, here's one, here's one. we actually spent probably a month finding 52 properties that there was valuable lessons to draw from. So some of them are just absolute losers. And, and, and we illustrate why. And then some of them are okay. There may be. And then some of them are real winners. And, and, and so the, the objective is by just showing people consulting, it's, sen- it's essentially like sitting in a consulting session. And I go through this framework in a very analytic way. We start with an overview of the property. We look at the listing. We talk about some of the basic top level stuff. Then we locate it on Google Earth. Mm-hmm. We get all, and, and I had helpers get all the property data for me so that we could look at it all right there. Um, and then I do, you know, I do this kind of big, um, in-depth analysis that sometimes, you know, goes on 20 minutes, half an hour. And then at the end we do an evaluation and then we put it through this little checklist and we score the, each element of the scales of permanence. We give it a number zero to four, zero being perfect four being too many resources required. And we go through each one and we point categorize all these. And this is what I encourage people to do when they're looking Is that now you have a real idea of what resources are going to be required to live there comfortably? Mm -hmm. Because starting at the top of the scales of permanence, when you look at climate, it's the hardest thing to change. If, If the climate you're in sucks, there's very little you can do to change that. There's things you can do, but in the scales of permanence, the higher it is on the list, the harder it is to change with more resources. And so what we do is we give each of these scales. a a weight. So climate, landform, water, and socioeconomics all have a weight of two. So when we assign zero to four, it creates a multiple, an adjusted rank. And so that's how we get an idea of what it's going to cost to develop this property. Because you might pick a property kind of like mine and say, hey, I want to live on a mountain- I want to do all the stuff like Curtis is doing, but I've spent a ton of money and time changing my geography here, which is what I wanted to do. That fit my context. Right. But most people, if they're going to spend, say, 350 grand on a property, they'd rather go in and mostly have turnkey. Yeah, maybe you got to do some lipstick renovations to your house like you might be doing. Yeah, you're going to you know till up an area for an annual garden but you got lots of trees you got natural water on the property things like that so that you can go in and not just have to terraform a property yes. and, and you know literally and, and some people want to do that and that's okay but but what i try to illustrate in this course and and i think we do a pretty good job of it is showing you that the 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 higher a property is scored fundamentally the more resources are going to be required to do that can I give you a number on that? Not really, because it's it's the devil's in the details, you know. But I can say if your climate's, it, uh, we ranked as a three, meaning that that's significant resources required. That is a massive undertaking to change that to make it hospital. Like I mean, we looked at some properties in, say, Wyoming, which is a BSK climate where it's arid, it's cold as hell. Uh, There's not a lot of vegetation. It's windy. Like we looked at places that have an average wind of 10 miles an hour. That means it's always windy. It's just, you don't want that. Right. And so we basically go through each of these in the evaluation and really come up with a number that illustrates what you're going to put in. And that should be your guiding, you know, your compass on, on, on which property you choose. And so that's essentially how the course works. And then we created a ton of extra bonus content in it of like best of. So, here's five examples of properties that have really good water.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Here's five examples of properties that have really poor water. And, and it's not all obvious. I mean, um, even, even myself, I was surprised on some things that once we started looking deeper, at first the property looked really good and I thought it would be sort of an what we call an A property. We have an A, a B or a C property. A being a winner, B being a maybe, C being a loser. And I looked at some properties that my, my assistants that helped me Collect all these properties, they just did gave it a rough evaluation. Oh, we think that's an A property. And I looked at it, I'm like, Wow, this is actually a complete fail because we missed this. And so that's important because mm-hmm. basically, if I can help you pick a winner and avoid losers, I just saved you a massive investment that might be the biggest investment of your life. And that's why I mean I used to just charge people, like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna charge you my full rate because I know that if I just saved you making a shitty $300,000 investment and you did it right, you could argue that I, that that's probably worth 1%. And a realtor, a, you know, there's all kinds of realtors out there and there's realtors that will kind of do this for you, but they charge more for it. And they yeah. charge on the, on the back end, right? They charge after the closing. And so they take that price. So we're selling this course. It's going to be, it's like 340 something bucks for the early bird. Mm-hmm. And it'll be, it'll be almost 600 bucks for the, the later, and I just know the value is insane because for a tiny little investment, and and my my partners, you know, wanted to charge more because they know the value. Like I said, right. if I can save you a three hundred to five hundred thousand dollar investment, you know, three hundred dollars is an ask is is a pretty insignificant. And, and then I show you the process so that you can do this yourself. And I've seen a lot of people use this information because again, the information. Of the evaluation isn't really all that new. I mean, I follow the scales of permanence and have those two things on the front. Some guys do it a little differently here and there, but if you talk to good permaculture designers like Dakota Cohen or Ben Falk or guys like this, they have a similar process, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not the new, but it's 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 the experience that the that the viewer is going to get by watching me go through fifty-two full analysis. To, to see, oh, this is why. I've always wondered why that geography, what that means. And we go through and we look at everything in 3D mapping. And you can tell so much about a property just by your, your computer, mm-hmm. and we source all the information that's all public information, but it's not stuff that you're ever gonna find on the real estate listing. And you know, realtors have an incentive to sell the property. So Mm-hmm. sometimes they're really sneaky with it and they hide certain things from you that you don't find out until you went to view the property and so what my goal is for people is to give you a way to filter out call it 99 of the properties that you look at so mm-hmm. that you only view properties that are either a really strong maybe or a really strong yes and then you might you might churn through 100 to 200 properties and that's what i encourage people to do because this process will allow you once you have the your head around how to do it and that's the understanding the framework but also just the experience of me doing this over and over again. I want people if you're going to pick a homestead property, view as many as humanly possible online and do the least amount of visits so that because your time is valuable and when mm-hmm. when this when the real estate market starts to to correct, which it's going to, there's gonna be such a mad dash, just like there was in the COVID lockdowns. So there was a mad dash to get on the land. I think you probably did you when did you move on your property? Was it during that phase?
0: No, we bought this property. This was the second property we bought in the States. Our first property, we made a mad dash for Arkansas because I had to work there. Oh okay. but, but it but did not fit a lot of our criteria. It was just right. like, okay, it's 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 a nice property, but I knew from a permaculture perspective. It was garbage because it didn't have any water. And uh, I kind of knew it was temporary. I just didn't want my money in the banks. <laughs> yeah, and, totally. And, and then we found our community about two hours north in Missouri. And it was like all the bears, you know, Owen Benjamin's crew. They like, oh, wow. Yeah, they kind of yeah, invi- yeah. they invited me up. And like, before I knew it, we had like kids for our daughter to play with. And this really. Wow. Oh, so
1: when did you buy this property that you're in now? In October. Okay. So, it, okay. Okay. Just, just last October. Okay. But yeah, I mean, either way, a lot of people moved out to the country during that phase of the COVID lockdown started until about, you know, when they started to slow down um, and I was included in that, but a, there was a mad dash to get land at that time. And realtors were calling them COVID buyers
0: mm-hmm.
1: and people were like rushing out to the land. And that's going to happen again. But it's going to happen under different circumstances because we can all see the writing on the wall of the economy, the small banks going to go in under, they're getting us ready for the CBDC consolidation, the US dollar is going to have a major correction, it's being abandoned by the world, essentially, and so there's going to be a lot of dollars coming home, meaning that assets are going to completely depreciate and we're going to go into this deflationary period where things become really cheap for a while, but it won't last long because people are going to have to liquidate assets. And so you're going to see a lot of these COVID buyers that bought properties in the last two years drop their properties. And in fact, this wasn't an intention of mine when I built the course, but I I, I just discovered this by doing all these assessments is that we found that Out of all the properties we looked at, and I'm not just talking about the 52 that we did full analysis of, but the hundreds that we we prospected to fit into this course, that a third of them were 200 days or more on the market. And so I'm talking homestead properties. So things like 10 acres or more, uh, $350,000 or less. Sometimes they were raw land. Sometimes they have a home. We kind of wanted to keep that open because sometimes the best land has a house on it. And sometimes the best land doesn't have a house on it. So we really wanted to focus on the land Mm-hmm. Um, and not, you know, nitpick too much about the 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 house. You know, if, if it was a teardown, that was certainly uh, could be a disqualifier. But we looked fairly broad, but we found, anyways, a third were two hundred days or more on the market. A third were a hundred days or more on the market, and the other third they were all uh, fifty-two days or more, which is the average days on the market in the U.S. There was only a couple properties that were recent listings. Everything had been sitting there for a while, and realtors have tricks too. They they'll pull a listing down change the, and then relist it and then put a new photo on the home page kind of thing that they do that all the time. And I actually caught guys doing that when we were prospecting. And so the point of that is that there's so much on the market that's sitting there. It's not selling Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: all it's going to take is a little blurb in the, in the, in the correction to make people just go bust and they're going to drop the price because they need to sell. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's going to be a huge opportunity, but the challenge that people are going to face when that happens is that number one, you're going to be competing with probably a lot of bears that want to get out, uh, the cities and into communities and rural areas and on homesteads, but you're also going to be competing with big banks because big banks, in my opinion, the way they're going to make you owe nothing and be happy is they're just going to throttle the, the markets like the bankers always do. Mm -hmm. And they get, you know, they get the peasants to go out on these ridiculous loans called mortgages, which the bank never put anything up. They make you do the work fixing up the asset and then they throttle the interest and inflation rates, make you go poor and then take the asset. Right. And they're gonna do that. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were gonna use AI to help buy up properties. And so I think when the time comes, and I, I don't know exactly when that's gonna be, I don't have a crystal ball, but I know that when the time comes, you're gonna see so many properties go up and off the market so quickly that if people wanna capture this potential great opportunity that's looming, you're going to have to move fast. And, 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 and uh, the, you know, the biggest, this wasn't necessarily my motivation was to teach people how to evaluate land. But as we did the course and and more, because I worked on this all winter, like we started this in kind of November, really um, late November. And As we did it, I just started to see as more of these economic things started to unfold. I was like, holy crap, this is more valuable than I thought it was when we first started because the only way you're gonna compete with the frenzy is to have a fast system that you can churn through the most amount of properties in the least amount of time to pick a winner. Because if you go into real estate and you make a hesitant move and foresee a real black swan, it could be a disaster for you. You could have picked a property that's in Tornado Alley. Right. You could have picked a property like in Wyoming it's just too damn windy. You right. could have picked a property that's in an alluvial fan that's in a hundred-year flood. And with all the geoengineering, you're gonna see more flooding, you're gonna see more radical weather, and they're gonna blame it all on climate change. And you know, Klaus Schwab's gonna save you. But that that's that's what I foresee. And I just think that that this course is gonna help so many people, and that's why I've reached out specifically to people like you. I'm gonna be on Owen's show tomorrow. Um, just to to go at this community because I want people like you in the country, right? I don't want these liberal idiots who just want to get out of the city because they don't want to deal with another COVID lockdown. I want people who are actually awake coming out here. And so I have this total selfish incentive uh, and it's not about the money. I want to just help people who should be on the land get on the land as fast as humanly possible and get the best places available. And so that's entirely my motivation to bringing this to you And I just hope I can help the most amount of people uh, um, in the least amount of time. And I want people to get this information now so that they can sharpen their swords and ready their shields Mm -hmm. for when the battle starts. Because if you're, I hope, I mean, yeah, our course will be for sale after, Mm -hmm. but we put the early bird out now, get in now, get in early and get because 50, like, you know, it's right now it's 31 hours. It might be a bit more once we're all done of content. That's a lot of content to get through. You know, you can't just sit through that in one sitting. I mean, maybe some people will binge watch it, but, and you might want to go back on things over and over again to really understand and really iron out and understand why I, I, I point out certain things um, because when you're, when you're new to it, you just, you just don't know, like you, all, all you look for is the real estate photos. And maybe you get um you get a building inspector or to, to come and do an assessment of the house, but people just typically don't know how to read geography and climate and, and and make a valuable assessment out of that. And so I just want to convey that to people and and get people in the right situation.
0: That's awesome. You know, I do this for construction. I, I do site surveys for construction and there's so many considerations, especially if oh, yeah. I have a client that is uh, energetically sensitive and we want to make sure that we have the right, uh, you know, feng shui, the right in- ingress and egress, all the different things, the way the light hits the building. So this yep. will be a lot of fun uh, to see if, if, if my gears mesh with your gears with what I saw in this property Just to give you like a little history, like this property came up and it was only on the market for like five days. And I knew just because of the, our primary, my primary thing was I wanted water. I wanted big water. Yeah. And um, (laughs) I saw this property. I could give a shit about the house here because I knew I was going to build my own house. Sure, exactly. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And so- for me, I was like, oh, great, there's a property, there, there's a house, there's a little barn. Doesn't matter to me. I don't care. I, yeah. saw, I saw the gradual uh, slope of the land. I saw, I could see on, the, on, the, on Google Earth, I was like, huh, it has a pond, but there's no pond listed in the listing. And I saw all this water draining into the driveway, right and I was like, I bet they have artesian well and yeah. none of that was in the listing. So we right. come out <laughs> the I call the realtor, the realtor goes, "Oh, it's sold." And I was like, "Darn it." But like 2 weeks later, I called again and I was like, "Yeah, is that property up?" And they're like, "You know what? It came it, it's back on the market." We yeah. were here we were here within 2 days. I it took me all of 10 minutes walking the property, seeing that it had an artesian spring, seeing that it had a pond, and and seeing its proximity to a a spring-fed lake. And I was like, we're buying it. Like there was was no question.
1: Yep, yep. And it's a big right angle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so I think I found it. Um, And- uh, Let me hit
0: share screen for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, give me the permissions there. And I'm just gonna draw out the property line when I think it is, because you said it's 16 acres.
0: Yeah, it's a big triangle.
1: Yep. Okay, let me share my screen.
0: With, with the and, most n- narrow side being to the north. So it's perfect. Yep. But just, so, just to follow up with what you're saying, we mobilized quickly. Like we had an offer on the table. We did not like once we, because it took us a year to find it. Like we, we really searched and searched and searched. Right. So I, I wanted to make sure that when we did find it, we had it.
1: Right. Right. There you go. Can you see it?
0: yeah that's it
1: and so that's that's the property line i basically just went off this drew it to the road and then went up i could see the property line here it's pretty easy and it worked out to be about 16 acres so yes Mm -hmm. yeah so that's it um so yeah so what i do and i also uh hid the road names and stuff like that just so that we we have some privacy but what i usually i won't zoom up any more than this but what i usually do the first thing when i when i zoom in on a property is i zoom back to i create a 60 mile radius okay. i zoom back to that and then i i total up all the towns uh in that area and i just pull up the 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 basic socioeconomic data so we look at median age median income cultural demographics uh crime statistics um, though we don't do the crime statistics too much. I mean, these, but these are things that you want to do if, when you're looking, you want to come up with that stuff. And so the reason for that is one of the, one of the challenges when you homestead can be that if you're too rural, there's sometimes there's too rural and there's sometimes not rural enough, right? Too is if you're in an area where there's like less than a thousand people or any of the little towns in your area have less than a 1000 people, that means that there's not a lot of amenities and services there. And that can be challenging. It's not always a deal breaker. Um, The devil's in the details, but but you want to look at that. And so we pull we pull back the lens. I look at that area, then I look for threats is the first thing I do, I just look around and I go, Okay, do you have any oil and gas, I don't see any oil and gas development. I don't see any big ag. I see benign agriculture like hay fields. That's all good. Um, I'm looking for, you know, when I'm looking for ag, I'm looking for center pivots. I'm looking for big, you know, those big circles you see. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, that's that's all conventional ag. That's how they do it uh, with center pivot irrigation. And that's very expensive. And it only is economical to do that on commodity crops, like soy, corn, and, and canola and things like that. Stuff that's all Roundup ready. So you don't want to live near that. And so uh, just to, you know, just to kind of keep your location a bit, a bit private, I won't do that, but I did it for you and I didn't see any major red flags um, in the area. And so, but that's, that's what I always do. And then the next thing I do is I I come out to this view where I look at your neighbors and I go, okay, what's Buddy doing here? What's going on? Is there any, is it a, is it a shithole with junk junky cars in it? It is. Is Yeah. This one
0: yeah so can can I give you some of my logic? Yeah, yeah. this actually really excited me because I see this as rear egress to my property. I will end up buying him out.
1: Sure, yeah, and there you go. That's a great opportunity there, right Because I um, want it, his
0: his property is pretty much cleared and it, it it's about midway up on the on the piece of property uh, on the part that we're gonna cultivate. So yeah. I wanted to be able to drive directly, and in. instead of bringing it, like if you're following the hypotenuse of the triangle, that's yep. where my road is on my property. Yeah, I didn't yeah, want to. I access. didn't. I didn't want to bring the road all the way over and across. What I wanted to do was come up from the from the northwest side and drop down to like where that pin is. That yep. that that was my idea.
1: Yeah. No, and it, that, it totally makes sense um and ultimately your context is the biggest lens that you should always look at this thing so so what I would do um is so well first of all I just kind of come in and I just make some basic um analysis so I I, you can use the timeline feature here which is super handy on Google Earth and I can go back in time on your property and so okay there's there's April 2020 the next image is June, 2022. So that's, that's the current one that we have here and go back. This is always handy too, because if you go and you've got a lot of deciduous trees on this property and so if you go back in the time, uh, in the winters, you can actually see a lot of the topography without the trees, which is, which can be super helpful. There there might be geographical features that are hidden in those trees that you wouldn't normally see. Mm -hmm. And so I always kind of go back and, and look around a bit more and just kind of see what it looks like at different times of the year. Um, and, you know, we can just make some basic observations. Like you've got water here, which is which is really important uh, for homesteading. You have a lot of water here too, which might be, uh, it, it can be problematic. And I would assume because the house is on the low side of this property that, you know, you did say before that you had some flooding stuff and I you can clearly see why. If I were to build another house on this property, I'd put it up on high, on high ground. We're
0: putting it essentially right where that pin is. That's, that's where we're perfect. building our,
1: Yeah, housing. that's, that's the spot. That's, yeah. that's the spot because you've got a Southeastern aspect there. So if uh-huh. I go like this, we can see that this sheds down towards this body of water mm-hmm. and, um, is perfect. And then you've got, is this a pond here? Yes. Yeah. So you can see that it's really neat. Cause the geography, do you guys get much
0: snow up there? No, like this year we got two snowfalls and it was like, they were gone within a few days.
1: But you probably get 70 inches of rain or something. Low, maybe we, 60 we, inches of rain.
0: We got So we've only been here, like I said, about five months, six months. And we got a lot more rain than where we were at in Arkansas. Like it was like a considerable- Really, because parts of
1: Arkansas are off the chains. Like we, we looked at some properties in Arkansas that had 120 inches of rain a year, which is absolutely bonkers. So I'm just going to pull up. I'm just going to again. I'll keep your the town that you're in secret, but I'm just going to Google your town, and then I go climate data. And then when you do that, Google will give you right away an overview. And then and then you can click on graphs. So I can go in there and I can look at your uh, temperature fluctuations. So I've got this measured in Celsius, but you go down to minus six Celsius. Oh, hey, I can switch back to Fahrenheit you get down to 22 Fahrenheit uh, in your winter and you get up to 88 Fahrenheit. So you're sort of in a, I think you're in a, in a, what's called a CFA climate. Let me just pull this up. My climate classification. This is a super handy tool, the Geiger climate classification. We go in the course, we go over this and why it's so important, but it really gives you an idea of, of what you're dealing with. Yeah. So you're in a CFA, which is, Most of the uh, southeastern seaboard of the United States, starting up at about, here, I'll just hide this for a second. Oh, no, I won't do that. Um, Basically, it, uh, yeah, the whole kind of bottom southeast quarter of the U.S. is what's called the CFA, which is a temperate climate. So you get milder winters, uh, precipitous uh, springs and bit of precipitation in the summer precipitation in the fall, you get a decent amount of rainfall. Um, and that can tell me a lot. And so even just going into the Google stats right here, I can see some basic stuff. So you get a fairly consistent amount of rain throughout the year you get, uh, in January, you get two inches and this is all average. In February, you get 2.4 March, you get 3.9 April point to may you get 5 inches of rain june so it's really it's a really good growing climate it's it, it it's why there's so many farms on in this mm-hmm. part of the US it's just cuz the growing conditions are pretty good there's soil i can i can just observe on this map that there's mm-hmm. soil right i can see green people are growing stuff lots of trees it was like
0: there's- the soil that's why i told you i walked on the property and i could just feel through the the i could see how green the grass was and just the how soft the grass was under my feet and like how my foot depressed into it and i'm like oh my god this has such better soil than where we just came from and yeah and you gotta understand i've lived 15 years in the rainforest of of costa Costa rica Rica. so there was no soil there so yeah. to feel how nice and soft this ground was, I was just like, oh my goodness, we are in in the money when it comes to soil.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I'm just going to unshare to pull out so that I keep your, keep your exact location private. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pull out here and we'll, get, we'll look at the US and talk about some climate stuff because it is interesting. And there'll be interesting correlations we can pull between your experience in, uh, in central america too and so so we come out to so here's the us uh north america let's put our Kloppen geiger up again and so yeah so this is what i was talking about this whole southeastern area of the us is all cfa and in, this, in the in the mountain ranges here you get cfb which is a slightly colder cfa basically so this is all what's called temperate and so when we look at the the kppen Cla- geiger uh, geiger climate classification There's five categories, there's Equatorial, which is what you would have had most likely in Costa Rica, we can actually look. There's Arid, which is this, all this stuff, the deserts, you know, you go to the Middle East, uh, North Africa, parts of China, that's all uh, Arid. Uh, And then we have our Temperates, and Temperates exist all over, you know, South America, um, the US, we have Temperate on the coastal parts of Canada. Um, then we have our boreal climates, which are all the you know the boreal forests, the the the, the softwood areas that get cold winters, lots of snow, but hot and dry summers. Um, and then we have polar, and you know we're not looking at anything polar. Uh, in in the course, we look at everything from arid temperate to to boreal. We don't bother looking at tropical because. There's only this portion of the United States that's tropical. It's a very small area. And it's actually very difficult. But the yeah, bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so down in Costa Rica here, uh, I'll just put up our borders and labels and stuff like that. Yeah. So We're down right in Costa there. Rica, yeah. So you're right in here. We're right in
0: Playa. Yeah, you're,
1: okay, so yeah, you're you're right in uh an AM. Climate. So this is, you know, uh, this varies. I think this varies from more rain to less. So most of the Köppen Geigers have three classifications they have um, the general climate, which is the first letter, and then they have the precipitation, and uh-huh. then they have warmth. And so the, uh, tropical basically just varies in its levels of precipitation, you know, it, it, whether it's really rainy in the season, in, in, in the rainy season or, or not, not so much, or, or there's tropical climates that are a lot more dry, like probably, uh, I yes. think in San Diego, Panama. San Diego and Panama, this is more, more of a dry climate. And so that that's the only variation you'd have. But the really neat thing is that you wouldn't have had to gone too far in, in Costa Rica to actually get into you get into the mountains and you actually get more of the temperate climates.
0: Yeah, we were up in the second ridge so like it you see Santa, San Isidro de General. So right in, right in between Uvita and San Isidro de General, we were in the second ridge right here. and we were up at about 2,000 feet of elevation. That was my farm there. And Wow okay and it was wonderful. We, we we would still it, we didn't get the heat of the coast yeah we, we got a little bit more rain than the coast like you know the, the they call it a cloud forest essentially yeah. Uh, yeah every day by 11 o'clock you had clouds roll over you and they were there to about four or five o'clock in the afternoon and um it was very difficult to grow like food that I I, I could say I liked so I ended up yeah North American
1: food is difficult Uh, in the tropics.
0: Yeah. So I just grew, I just had tropical fruit trees. I I just, that's all I did was tropical fruit trees. And that's
1: in the tropics. That's what it is. It's fish and perennials. Yep. You know, that's, that's, that's the, that's the tropical diet when you go to Hawaii, you know, much of South America in general, Central America, for sure. uh, Mexico, you get into slightly different climate zones, uh, the further north you get. You know, Mexico is an incredibly diverse climate. It's it's one of the most diverse in the, U- in the world, uh, U.S. being the other one. Just so many different types of climates because of the amount of coastline and the amount of elevation that you have. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just incredibly diverse. But kind of going back to the U.S., um, there's a reason why so much of the U.S. exists in this area. And you can just see basically this whole area here almost directly correlates with the temperate climates. So this whole part of the U S this is where 80% of the U S lives is right in that area. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and if you look at that uh, and then you put on the climate classification, you'll basically see that it directly correlates almost directly correlates with the Geiger climate classification of a CFA climate, because the CFA is one of the most hospitable uh, climates in the world you can exist in and so that's why there's so many farms here so many people live here it really is uh one of the nicest places you can live and the challenge there too is that you're closer to more people and this is what i say uh with, with you know prepping in general you're in a fairly good spot because if the shit were to hit the fan and it would be you know in these areas here people flood to those cities and that's that's You know, a big consideration when you're when when I'm looking at a property is I'm thinking about that. Um, I use other filters too. Like I have these sort of no-go zones. So I've got preferences. Like I have uh, tornado alley. I have uh, hurricane zones. I have political preference. You know, red states. I've got don't go near the southern border. Um, Things like that. You know, and and you can make these however you like them. Um, But those are things that when I'm looking. For clients, that's what I'm. I generally just try to avoid. It's like, yeah, you can show Tornado Alley, and there's way more details in this. There's way more hot zones. Like, there's way there's cold zones in here. Some people might say, well, I've lived in Dodge City and I've never had a hurricane, a tornado. Fair enough. What I did is I just broadly applied this to just be like, hey, it's easier to make broad strokes and generalizations when you're looking for property because then you just save yourself the potential risk is like, why not just avoid the risk altogether? And that's what I encourage people to do. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, as far as climate, you're in a really good climate. So here I'll, I'll, I'll cancel this and I'll zoom back into your place and we'll, we'll, we'll look further at your property uh, closer up here. But yeah, Missouri is a, is a pretty, is a pretty nice place. Um, and yeah, water, you know, you are bang on with, Considering water because that is crucial. And when when I looked at my property, it was the reason I got my property so cheap, is because there was water here. But the but most people that were looking at this place couldn't see it because they couldn't read geography. Right. And so because I had so much experience reading topography, I was able to identify two main draws that had a collection of deciduous trees and that that don't fit with all the softwood. It is like. Here's all these deciduous trees here. And this area is green. There's thick uh, humus layer on the the forest floor. And I could stick my shovel down and there was just many feet of soil, which on the ridges, they didn't exist. And then the property didn't have a well that worked. And so most people thought, oh, there's no well. You can't get water here. It's a write-off. I bought my property for a third to about half of what other properties we were looking at because I knew I could get water there. Mm-hmm. And I did. I, and in fact, I drilled a well, I witched it myself, got 10 GPM on the top of a mountain, but I also have these major geographical water features that I can collect about 8 million liters of water from the snow melt. Nice. And I'm doing that in a collection of ponds. But so, you know, looking at your property, these are things that you can see. Like I, I always prefer to have more uh, vegetation than not mm-hmm. because this takes a lifetime to grow and it takes an afternoon to take down. So when the time comes for you to build your house, yeah, you'll probably take down some of the trees on the South side of the house, you know, to give yourself good aspect uh, yes. to the sun, but um, you don't have to do a lot. And and, and if that's going to be your build site, it's great. Um, so, I mean, kind of going, what we could actually do here, this would be kind of fun. Whoops. Here you'll have to delete that oh, when I do that. But let me just pull something up here. What we'll do, this will be kind of fun. We're okay. gonna ev- we'll we'll evaluate your property. We'll give you a point. We'll 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 tell oh, you. <laughs> but, but let's do let's do a full evaluation and, and and let's let's rank your property and see where it lines up with my scores. And this is essentially what I did um, with all the properties that I viewed. And so I'm just gonna split my screen up here so that we can have half of an evaluation and then half of Google Earth and let's do it this is always fun and so when i do these uh assessments in the course i do an overview that's the first part then i do an in-depth analysis which is the second part then i do an overview so we'll kind of skip to the overview because then we can kind of do we can kind of do the in-depth analysis uh and um uh, uh ranking at the same time so I would say by just looking at your, your climate data, I don't see, it's not too windy. Uh, And if it is, you have lots of protection, which is good. Yes. Um, You've got a a good amount of rainfall. Uh, You also are surrounded by some water features. Is this an easement across your property? Like, can you access to that? That's sweet. So you can, you can go and take your kids and hang out on the water here and stuff. Yeah. You guys do that? Yeah,
0: Yeah. We walk the lake every day. That's amazing. My little wiener dog loves the lake.
1: That's great. So, so I would say, uh, as far as climate goes, you're actually perfect. I mean, mostly the climate is what you expect. So if you're going to choose to live in an area, you have to kind of adjust it to the context. It's like, okay, I want to live in Arizona. You have to accept the fact that Arizona has things to it, uh, that are just expected but it can also have extremes. And usually when I rate climate, I look at extremes. And if there's no extremes and there's no risks, that's good. If you were somewhat windy or were prone to flooding, which I think you are a bit here, I might say- I'm only,
0: so I, I can elaborate on the flooding. This house is what they call the Ozark special. It started off as a one bedroom, one bath house that they kept adding on to. Whoever did the additions, they didn't do the foundation wall on the on the west side correctly, and they right. didn't berm the land so that the water
1: would shed away from the wall from the from the house. Classic, yeah, that's classic. And so that's okay, but it's just, it's just something to consider. And a one isn't bad. It just means minimal resources required. So you're gonna have to do some things to fix that, and that's not a big yeah. deal. Like, and, and and you'll see as we go through this. Like my property was actually a B property, but I knew that going in because I was prepared to put the resources in to change my land form and, and um, make ponds and stuff like that. And I wanted to do that. I wanted the kind of the, the permaculture special, you know, I wanted to do right. all the earthworks. I'm a good machine operator. I like doing that stuff. Um, and so I'd say, yeah, for climate, you're pretty good for land form you're, you're really good too. You've got topography, which is nice. Like I love having topography. Yes. I don't like it when properties are just flat. Like I've looked at, we looked at four properties in Missouri actually in the course, and none of them were really like yours. Cause it's actually very difficult to find properties in the Ozarks. There's mm-hmm. very little available, especially at the price point we were looking for. And so we, we did, uh, in other parts of Missouri, but most places we looked at were very unlike this, very little vegetation, uh, mostly just fields, which might be okay for some people, but as far as your topography to go, I'd say, I'd say it's actually quite perfect. You know, looking at this, I would say, okay, you've got an area here. If you wanted to do some crop farming of any kind, you've got like a good amount of open land. I just roughly doing this. Like there's, there's a sixth of an acre. You could take down um, a few more trees and really, block out an area with very little effort you know having a home garden is one thing you know home garden half acres is plenty for a homesteader but if you want to do crops where you say grow feed for your animals over winter you want to have areas to run animals on pasture things like that you have to consider that fortunately, uh, deciduous trees are really good for running animals so you can run animals through these areas even through these areas but if you wanted to say clear a couple acres. Uh, it wouldn't be difficult to do. I would probably start uh, the path of least resistance and say, okay, this area here could very easily accommodate, you know, there's 0. 0.6 of an acre there uh, for, for crops. Then you could say, well, I might want a couple acres and you could pretty easily get that just by chopping away at this and get another acre, say. Mm-hmm. And 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 once you get into this kind of stuff, you're talking about doing food forests and orchards and perennials then you can stretch those things into these little opening areas and not have to cut down major trees at all and so right. you've got a lot of good areas that you can already grow in and even in here so i'd say your land form is actually you know a little bit of work you know clear, clearing some trees that's not a big deal tilling and prepping some soil that's not a big deal that's kind of a given for anybody so i'd say i'd give it a one um on water, I'd say you're you're perfect. You get a good amount of annual rainfall. You're close to a body, body of water that's huge, meaning that if you were in a dire straits and you had to just suck some water for this lake, you could do it and nobody would notice probably. Yep. Uh, but and also, it's a spring buy- fed
0: lake too, and, and this, this is, is a spring fed lake, and that's a spring fed pond.
1: Yeah, and so is there? Do you have a well on this property? Where where do you I get do. water? house
0: i do yeah. i have a well all the way down at the bottom near the house but yeah if you yeah, go to the first. right the That's right the point i've already uh divined the property uh doused the property and up at the top of the property the top of the ridge i'm yeah. gonna put i'm gonna put
1: another well perfect and so you're for water you're you're perfect you seemingly have you've got multiple sources of water you got a well you got a pond that you can probably make better if you wanted to, you could, you could divert more water to that pond. I mean, it, and, and all you'd necessarily be doing is whoops, where are we here? Oops, over here? Whoops over here. All you would necessarily be doing is looking at the topography and then saying, okay, water, basically all sheds towards this body of water. That's right. completely obvious. And so what you would do is you could, Cut in some ditches, um, trenches basically, and use weeping tile or, or you know, perforated big O with the sock on it, and and just cut a couple lines so that you know what you do is. And I've done this all of my property, and it absolutely works incredibly. So water is going to shed the path of least resistance is going to go this way, and so what you would do is you would draw. You'd dig a trench, and I don't know exactly where that pond ends, but let's just say it's around here. Get to the lowest point of it because we go down in elevation as we get towards the, the big mm-hmm. lake. You would do a, a a ditch that slightly climbed up so that you had a at least two degree slope coming down. And what's the soil like? Is it is it clay? Is it is it's probably clay, hey?
0: Up there is clay, yes.
1: Yeah, it's clay. So that's good because then it will hold water and move it easier it's when you get into porous soil like i have with lots of rocks or sand where you need to have a steeper slope otherwise if you if you cut a swale on contour for example in porous or sandy soil it just soaks into the ground too much and it disappears and so if you want to move it somewhere you have to have it at an angle so the path of least resistance is to go that angle opposed to going through the soil and so you would cut a feature like that and it wouldn't even have to interrupt your farm. You could basically go over it. And this is kind of like doing key line design. If you've heard guys like Darren Doherty and such talk about it in reverse. So in key line design, which was a, was a creation of PA Yeoman, the idea was to draw water out of valleys onto ridges, Mm -hmm. but sometimes that just doesn't make sense to do. And so you might be better off. Like in my case, I'm better off holding water in ponds and trying to move it across the landscape. I'll move it with irrigation. Mm -hmm. And then I'll, I'll hold it in a pond. And so you could do that if you needed to, but you might not need to, because you already have so much ample water here that it just, it just might not matter to you. So either way, I would say for water, you're perfect. You already have infrastructure. There's already features there that can be utilized and expanded upon. And then you have features outside of your property, such as lakes and good and good rainfall that are also really good. So I would say on water, you're perfect. Um. On socioeconomics, I mean you could answer that better than I could. I mean, do you have amenities? Can you can you get the things that you need? Things from the hardware store, services, general contractors. It,
0: I am I am so stoked. Cause relative to where we were in Arkansas, where there was literally no there was no no labor. <laughs> there there was no capable labor. Like you, we had to drive an hour to get to anything for anything, getting deliveries to where we were was horrible here. We're three miles away from a highway 60, which is like that, that goes all the way from North Carolina, all the way to California. Like it, it goes, it's, it's only a two lane highway. It's not like a mega highway, but on that I make biochar. And so I wanted to be next to milling operations. They're perfect. there's six wood milling operations within within 20 miles of me, so I can get all the barucha. I can get all the salt. I can get everything I need, to, you know, delivered to me at cost. There's a cement making plant that is uh, 12 miles away, so I can get all the gravel, all the rock. I can get all the all the uh, crusher fines, all the. I can get all that delivered to me at cost. Uh, and then, ha-
1: and then on the on, on the flip, so that's all really good. But on the flip side of it, there's a negative side to socioeconomics. That can be too close to major roads. You're not there, so that's good. But it also can be too close to risky populations. So I don't think there's a lot of risky. It's not like you're living next to Atlanta, Georgia, right? Or or the neat, or the neat thing Olympics about or- the people
0: in this area. And I, I, it's the first time in my life, like I come from South Florida. It's the first time I've ever lived in anywhere where it was socially the norm for men to carry firearms. Right. And it's, it's the norm here. Like you go out, and right. guys are packing, like everyone's packing. Right.
1: So it's, so it's safe because we all know <laughs> gun statistics when you have high gun ownership, places are typically a lot safer like in the oh US.
0: and here's another the places thing. that
1: are restricted guns like chicago are the most violent because criminals don't obey signs <laughs> right, right? So, and my, and so
0: here's my here's another thing socioeconomically is that my neighbor to the south who has 40 acres he his he runs a uh what is it called a he um when people are cultivating bees what's that called
1: Calling when they're cultivating what
0: bees like honey.
1: Oh, uh, 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 what do you call him? E- uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, he he has like 80 uh, beehives. Like he makes incredible honey. The the person behind me has their own mobile mill. So like perfect. I have like I have around me, I have the capacity, like at all times I have sugar, I have easy carbohydrate, I have water, yeah. and I have all the perfect. cell I have all the cellulose in the world that I ever need to make any type any type of uh biochar that I want to make.
1: So it's perfect. I mean it's pretty much as good as it gets. So we'll we'll call that a zero. Um another one that's really important here is access and circulation. So Mm-hmm. good access in, right. You've got yes. this, you've got this road that gets you across. That's really good for access. Cause then you can access pretty much any of your property fairly easily Right on circulation. You know, it's not perfect. You're going to have, if you build here, you're going to have some work to do, but it's not that big of a deal because you're probably going to just send a cut in the path of least resistance. It looks like people already drive over this anyways. So I'd say it's pretty good. You know, you'll have a little bit of, of changing to do with that, but it's, but it's not bad. Like it's,
0: no, it's not always bad at you all. work
1: on a property. Right. So it's, it's not a bad thing at all.
0: And remember up here where my cursor is, I don't know if you can see my cursor. I not. can't No. So if you go just above where the pin is, my yeah. neighbor up there to the left, I'm going to, I'm eventually going to get an easement through that property. Oh, okay. So if yeah. you could see the way the road comes through and down.
1: Yep. yep. Yeah. Right through here. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So it's great. So access circulation is really good. Little bit of work, but that's not that's that's expected on, on a property. No property scores zero, right? Like that's it's just on the fifty-two we did, nothing scored zero. I think we had some that scored very, like you know, in the single digits, but right. nothing is zero. So ve- vegetation and wildlife, uh, from from what I see, it looks perfect. You've got the vast majority of the properties in trees. You've got uh, access to vegetation and wildlife off your property, which is really nice. You can go to that lake. So I'd say that's the, that's a perfect score. It doesn't really get much better. I mean, it can be better if you have a bigger property, right? So, I mean, I like larger acreage, but this is for 16 acres This is r- really well laid out. It has a very good percentage of fr- what I call friable land versus, um, uh, wildland because wildland doesn't take any work, which right. is great, but you get to enjoy it. You get the lifestyle of it. You can, you can wildcraft mushrooms you can potentially hunt for for game trap game you know it's a it's firewood you know limitless resources um that you don't have to work in. so vegetation wildlife is super important and i'd say you're 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 as good as it can possibly be under the circumstances
0: yeah Um, we have we have tons of deer wild turkey and that lake we have like i think it's a it's a it's unlimited with most different types of fish like it has pike you can fish in it that's yeah huge. it has pike it has small and largemouth bass it has um there's a fish here that everybody loves it's like a perch fish and like you can like there's no tilapia limit on it. yeah no it's not tilapia it's um i'll think of it in a second it's a fish that i never ate in florida but it's a very tasty fish and so yeah. like we we have that was another thing to me is like is a consideration if the grid goes down do i have local calories like are there calories you know is there food that
1: you can just gather without if you have a really shitty farming season or whatever it is is there food you got and so say same thing for me on my property we have moose whitetail deer and turkeys everywhere we also have bears and cougars uh but my (laughs) fence has, has taken care of them and the cougars don't really come around anymore but Mm-hmm. For me, vegetation and wildlife was actually, for my context, was a massive top priority. I wanted to have, and my property is about 75% wild. And so I basically have eight acres that is uh, usable for infrastructure and farming and stuff like that, greenhouses. And then the rest, the 32 acres is all, is wild. So that's really good. So you, you I would say you're like absolutely perfect score for that. When it comes to microclimates, you have them. It's really easy to yeah. see. Open areas. This is a southeastern aspect. This is the best place to farm right there. Uh, So that's a microclimate. In the trees is a microclimate. By the pond is a microclimate. Um, Mm -hmm. On the north side of a tree line is a a microclimate. On the south side of a tree line is a microclimate. Um, On the roads and maybe in this access is a microclimate. You have multiple microclimates on the property, which is really good. So Mm -hmm. it's perfect for that. Builds um, building infrastructure. This is where you'll, you know, and you already know this, that you're going to build a new house. Uh, there was a little barn here, or is that here? Is that right this, there? This? Yeah, yeah, that's it. So there, there's some stuff. It's pretty good. The house is a bit of a fixer-upper, but you know, it's expected. So I would say, yeah, there's a, there's a, I, you know, if you're going to build a new house, I would say it's significant, but that's expected, right? You're going to build a new house. You're going to put another infrastructure. That's it's only because I, I'm a builder. <laughs> sure. if I,
0: if I wasn't a builder, I wouldn't be building a new house. Like I'm building a new house. No, you sometime. wouldn't,
1: but, but, but you would be renovating this a lot more probably. And so that would, you know, that's, that's, it's resources. It's not a bad thing, right? It's, it, yeah. it's just what you would expect um, for zones of use. I'd say, so zones of use means, and you think about kind of the classic, you know, Bill Mollison, of those permaculture maps and in, in, in in his first two books, you know, zone one, Is your inner homestead, and so right now your zoning is different because uh, than how it's going to be, just like it is for me. So I'm in the process of building a house. My zones will change, but they'll be somewhat similar for you. And so you might think about, um, this is probably that would be your zone one area, Mm -hmm. and so that's that's an acre area. And so what how we rate this is how easily can we have zones of use, Uh, and you can do it fairly easily here. So you've got. Your zone two area is going to be probably um, going to the barn and maybe that immediate field there, that would be a zone two area. So that's about three acres. And then you would say your zone three coming out into the more wild part of your property is going to be you know over this and beyond. And then the neat thing about your situation with your property is that you could actually have a zone four um, because you have um, so so much natural wildlife around you that you have access to. So even though this isn't your property, it is your zone four in, right. in a sort of a de facto way. If you can roam around here and enjoy this, it is a sort of a de facto zone four. So the fact that you have four zones available to you on this property is really good because most, most properties will have a zone one and a zone two. Um, this is why I like bigger acreage is it's nice to have at least three zones that you can clearly see. Mm-hmm. Um, and this will change a little bit for you when you move your house here, but not that big of a deal because you have open areas. So when the time comes to to build this, you know, you're gonna bring your primary access in, what are you gonna do it off this road or are you gonna cut through?
0: Uh, no, I'm going to bring it up and then over here because to the northeast, the entrance is the is the best up there. Like, oh, you can't see my cursor. I'm sorry. No, so I'm no. going to follow the internal road that's on the hypotenuse. And this, then right. Yeah. And then so where it says tow for 16 acres. Yeah. Right about where the H is. If you're to drop down, you know, a little bit right there that's yeah. where the house is going to be. I'm going to bring the driveway straight across.
1: And then you'll have that easement too, through your neighbor's place. Precisely. Yeah. So yeah. then, so then, you know, I all want the
0: garage gonna... on the North.
1: Yeah. So the only thing that's going to shift is your zone one. Everything else will more or less stay the same. So I would say you, you, you have, it's perfect for zones of use. It's exact. I mean, you're going to have to put in some resources because you have to clear some trees, build some roads, stuff like that, but that's okay. That's a given, right? Right. Um, and then for soil, I'd say it's perfect. I'm looking at it. I can see that it's fairly virgin soil, you know, and I can go back in in the timeline and then look at different times of the year to see what how brown it is. So this is in April, you know, a little brown in here. This is November, this is uh, October. So a lot of rain happening in that month. So you can see what the soil that's been used the most, which is this area. So it, it had been crop farmed at some point, probably this is back in 2010, hay cropping. You can just see, mm-hmm. you know, there was probably some minimal tillage and crop seeding and stuff like that. So that soil you'll have to work on a little bit, not that big of a deal. That's a given pretty much anywhere, but you have it. And so I would say it's it's really good. I mean, yes, you're going to have to put in some you know in order to because to, you don't have a prepared field we have a basis of soil which is good that gives us some points as consideration um which is the best to start with a foundation of soil and, then, and opposed to having to bring in amounts of soil you can do it you you build biochar you can regenerate this soil and make it the best it can possibly be but it's gonna it's gonna take you a bit of work not a big deal right mm-hmm. um, and then as far lastly um with aesthetics and experience i'd say it's Perfect. I mean, I can just imagine, I mean, I'm not at your property, but I can imagine that you and your family can really enjoy the surroundings, the areas, going through the trees, taking your kid to the lake. It's a very enjoyable place to be. You know, you want to be on, you want to be there, right? Yes. (laughs) So uh,
0: it's so, it's so nice. I mean, it's, it's the first property, like the, our property in Costa Rica was difficult because it was the rainforest. It was dangerous.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I, I, this is this is where rain, the rainforest can actually be as far as vegetation and wildlife or aesthetics and experience can be sketchy. It can also be sketchy for socioeconomics because you're the gringo. Right. And in, in those remote countries, it's also difficult to get stuff, you know? Exactly. Whereas in the US, you, you have uh, at least for the time being, an unlimited so unlimited amount of stuff you can get. So your property is an A property. I, if, if I would have done this in uh, our analysis, I would have this would have scored, uh would have had 13 points, wow. which is really good. So basically <laughs> the way the way we rank an A property is uh, just going back to this. Is so an A property, can you see my screen again there? Yes. There you go. So an A property is zero to twenty-two point five. A B property is twenty-three to forty-one point five. A C is forty-two plus. And so this is only a measure. It's not a A C is 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 just going to be a fail because you just it would just take too many resources that it's just not it's just not feasible to the average person. Um, But a B property can be a winner if you as long as you understand that you're going to put resources in. And my my property was a B property but it fit my holistic context in every regard right and i knew i could get water there it took a bit of work i had to spend $27,000 to drill a well and i i'm doing you know a whole season's worth of earthworks to get these ponds uh to where i want them to be um but i had everything else i wanted the privacy i had challenges with the soil but i had cha- i had soil on the property that i could harvest and so all all the, the all these rankings do is give you uh an analysis of what you can expect to put in. And in the case of your property, the place that you're going to invest the most amount of resources is obvious to you already. And that's going to be to build your home, Mm -hmm. or it could be even to renovate the home that you're in. But as far as climate, there's nothing to do. Uh, You might want some greenhouses at some point or Mm -hmm. a greenhouse. Uh, As far as the land form, you need to shape it a little bit to accommodate your access and some farming. But fairly minimal uh, you don't really have to do anything for water you might want to later if you want to build that pond out so that you have your own pond but is that really necessary to grow crops probably not your wells and the amount of rain you get seasonally will probably be good enough um access and circulation yeah you got to do a little bit of stuff but not much you've yeah. already got tons of vegetation and wildlife you have tons of microclimates Again, the buildings and infrastructure speak for themselves. You've got good zones of use that will slightly change when you reorientate your living to that new area on the property, which is definitely the best place to build. Uh, soil's there, you're gonna make it better with biochar. And then you've got a beautiful experience of being in this area and enjoying the natural surroundings. And so it's a it's a, it's a a really strong property and you know, good job for picking it. A lot of people um, would have overlooked uh, some things and 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 might not have seen the opportunity here that you saw oh dude i
0: i was like heartbroken when the realtor said it was gone because i saw it on the map and I knew what I was looking for and I was like this is the perfect property and i just had this instinct i was like i got to call back you know, yeah 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 real estate Absolutely. real you know things fall through all the time and when they all said the it time. Well, I said it was when they said it was available. I was like, "Wifey, we're going," and we did, yeah. and it was it was just perfect.
1: Perfect. Yeah, that's that's amazing, and that and um, yeah, that's one thing too that that people need to do is follow up because you'd be surprised how many deals fall through. And uh, I mean, I see with my property in particular, this guy had twelve deals fall through before I came along. <laughs> You're lucky 13. Well, old deals. He listed the property was listed for two years and nobody bought uh jumped at it. And um and uh people just assumed that there was no water, and so that's that's what it came down to. Mm-hmm. And um uh, but there was water there, nobody could see it, and so I came in at this smoke and deal, and he only wanted to do cash. He was he said no subjects. Mm-hmm. And so I you know I had I uh, I said to the realtor, I'd like to meet him and I met him and we really hit it off. And he was like, oh man, I really want you to have this property. And so, so that helped me too. But um, yeah, sometimes things that look like a really bad scenario, you can play that up and leverage it because nobody else can see it. And so I got this property at a smoke and deal because nobody, everybody thought that there was no water. And they thought that the access was too limited. I wanted a long driveway because I wanted the privacy and the security of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, the things that I valued over others, pl- plus my eye to read geography, allowed me to get a property that was half or a third of the prop uh, of the price that w- of of comparables that we were looking at, and it had a house on it. So it was it was a total it was a total win.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, the realtor that listed this, he took terrible pictures (laughs) and he didn't list the fact that the the land had an artesian wellspring and he didn't list that it had a pond and he underestimated the amount of land. Like he literally listed it as one acre less than what it was. So as soon as I saw the survey, I was like, this is 15.94 acres. (laughs) <laughs> it's not like 15.1 acres It's 15.94 right. and he's like oh yeah like i don't know if he was a family friend or whatever but it's i was like okay it has the water it's the size we want it's around a community that we love like it, this is we got to get it
1: yeah totally and that's yeah that's that's a great story man but um but yeah basically you know that's that's kind of what I show people to do, and we look at like most properties we look at aren't what you found is a fairly rare find, like it's mm-hmm. and, and you can tell, right? Yes. Because you saw it, and we're like, oh my god, it almost disappeared really quickly, right? So that's um, that's a story I've heard before, and that's often the case when you're when you find something like that that's rare. Because, yeah, I mean, I can tell you, I've looked at a lot of properties in Missouri, and mm-hmm. and uh, it's hard to find the good areas of Missouri because so much Missouri is just farmland just like boring no no topography just flat Mm -hmm. um soils that have just been mined you know Mm -hmm. conventional agriculture and whatnot uh, and it's hard to find good places and yeah it's really neat the 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 Ozark area in Missouri is just phenomenal makes you wonder like how the hell did those lakes form you know exactly exactly
0: well, Mr. Curtis, thank you so much for reviewing my land. That that has me all fired up. Um, nice. Where exactly can people get your course?
1: So you'll have a link, and it's right. it's, it's it's customized for you. So mm-hmm. just share that, and then if people okay. follow that, you'll make some money on it, and uh, and it can support your uh, the work you do. Perfect. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, man, my pleasure. And I hope, yeah, I hope people, if if you know, even if you thought about it. Um, but a lot of people have this sort of, um, limiting beliefs, you know, when it comes oh, I'll never have money to do that, but you might have the money to do it. If you play it smart over the next year or so, and you, uh, have a bit of cash. And what I've been telling people too, is don't hesitate to get together with family. Exactly. A lot of people are, we're going to have to bring our parents in, you know, do you want your mom and dad, if they're retired living in some home where they force inject them? Like I don't. And so. I think, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of people, a lot of my students and and people I've worked for in the past have done this because it's, you know, let's, let's bring mom and dad home and let's have a second place for them to live and, and bring back the family farm. You know, that's how it used to be. That's how we had generational wealth outside of financial means. We had biological capital. We had, we had family capital. We have all these other forms of capital that can exist on the land, but not when you're living in an apartment uh in a in a big city, you know. So I really hope people can, you know, start to think a bit more broad about how they can make it happen for themselves, but anything is possible. And I I still think even with the current conditions that we're in, the American dream is still somewhat attainable. Mm-hmm. Um I can tell you in my personal life, I have never met an individual in my life that really applied themselves and went at it that didn't succeed. That's in my true. life, I've never seen that. Everybody I knew who failed chose to fail. And I ha- I literally have 10 friends that are homeless that I grew up with that from kindergarten to high school. I have 10 guys that I grew up with in the same street and uh, in the same area and they're on the street. And it's not because they didn't uh, apply because they applied themselves and failed. It's because they gave up. They abandoned right. their family. They got into drinking and drugs and the excuses are all self-inflicted. And so I really still think even in the current conditions that we're in, it's still possible. You just have to work your ass off and look at the bear community and look at people that are going out there and, and, and having at it. and don't try to, don't try to be me. Don't try to be you be yourself right. and, and only compare yourself to who you were yesterday. And, and once you start doing that, you'll actually find that you're quite successful because, mm-hmm can't replicate anybody else's context or circumstances. You can only do you. And, yes. and I think that's important to understand. That's
0: that's such great advice because I have to say, I was shocked when I was in college because I my, my sports team that I was on, I had a coach there and we were talking about one of the players and he was the most talented player on our team, but he could never see the field. And I was kind of shocked by that. And he goes, yeah, the most talented guys never make it to the field. And I'm like, what? Like that was so antithetical to the, what I thought. He goes, yeah, like the guys that have the God-given whatever, a lot of times it comes too easy for them. And so when it's and time they,
1: and they waste it,
0: yeah, when when it's okay. time to work, they they can't, they they don't show up. And yep. I've I've seen that over and over and oh, over again. Too. And so yeah. it's the people that do make it happen. They usually have the will to make it happen.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it, hard work wins. It is exactly. really that's the game is just hard work wins, and you know the original Americana is is, is, is exemplified in that idea that that's that's what it does. But even even think about all star athletes and stuff like that. Like think about what's that guy who plays basketball, who the white the short white guy uh, who can score the three pointers, uh, Nash. Steve Nash. Yeah. You know, that guy has nothing on the average basketball player. Who's like, you know, probably a six and a half foot tall black man. Who's naturally physically more capable than he is yet. He's one of the greatest basketball players because he just worked hard. Right. And and that's, and that's what it comes down to in anything. And and I've never, again, I've never in my life, I've seen somebody who applied themselves like you or I do that failed. It just, it just hadn't happened. No, no, no. You know, sometimes you get extreme circumstances where, you know, they lost their family, some horrible set of circumstances that really can set them back. But at the end of the day, people can recover from anything. And I think, you know, the more excuses you make up for yourself, the more likely it's going to be that you don't succeed. And so stop making up excuses and just instead of saying, well, how, I can't do this. Just say, well, what do I have to do to do it? Oh, uh, I dude. can't. I'll never be able to buy a property. It's like, well, ask yourself, what do you have to do? What are those steps? Start working towards those steps. It's that simple.
0: So, our, our coaching staff got fired at Michigan State, and the new coaching staff came in. And part of the new coaching staff's MO is to like break you mentally. <laughs> and I remember the first time our weight training coach comes into the to speak to the whole team, he comes in and he's like, you know, I've been walking around these hallways the last few days, and there's like these little things that are in the air. And so I'm 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 plucking these things out of the air, and I'm and I'm putting them in this bag. And like they're they're just all over the place. These little things are just floating in every room I go into, they're they're everywhere. So I'm I'm putting them in a bag and and I'm tying up the bag and i'm shoving it right up your ass like and like he's this like five foot ten white dude little guy and like all of us are like blown back in the back of our chairs like holy shit and it was so true the only difference we had all the pro talent with the previous coaching staff but the new coaching staff required so much more from us that we actually ended up being good the personnel didn't change
1: yeah it was just like
0: get rid of the excuses yeah i don't want to hear your bs i don't want to hear the excuses that's 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 for losers yeah and let's go and so i i love it curtis you're i i can tell you're always on the grindstone because whenever i message you you like reply so quickly like you're always (laughs) on it so i really appreciate this i'll get this out this wednesday when when does your when does your course launch
1: the 15th. So the early bird, uh, offer is from the 15th to the 18th. So i suggest people, if they want to save 200 bucks, do that. Okay. And, um, yeah. So, yep.
0: Okay. Well, I'll produce this right away and I'll have it out there. My friend right on brother. It was great to see
1: you. Yeah. You too, man.
0: All right. See you soon. Bye-bye. Yep. Biocharismites. I hope you enjoyed this little pod that we had with Curtis Stone. I'm so glad I got an A. Woo! I did it correctly, Mom. Look at me. <laughs> if any of you have little kids, you know they're always saying, look at me, look at me. It's, it's pretty funny. So I have that on my brain. Um, I'm glad that I assessed this property. I knew it, I felt in my heart the second I saw the listing and I saw the features of the land, I was like, we have to have it. So I'm glad that it wasn't just an emotional purchase. It was actually a very well-developed uh, mindset with it. And we ended the podcast talking about you know, working for what you want. And this has really been the story of my life. Um, <laughs> it, it's just one of these things. You might, you might not have all the talent in the world. You might not have uh, the right timing. There might be all these little things that seem like they're stacked up against you don't fall don't fall for it just grind just just go for it and you'll get what you'll get what's coming to you we really do get what we deserve in this in this life and the way I look at hard work is hard work is repetition and what I see in nature everything in nature the biomimicking aspect of nature it's just repetition the tide always goes out and comes in. Like it's always, it's just rep after rep, after rep, after rep. So if if you have a goal and you wanna you want see it through, don't ever convince yourself that you can't do it because of a lack of talent or a lack of resource. Just put the time in and no matter what, you'll magnetize that to you. So I thought that was a wonderful way to, to end the podcast. Uh, we've had two now uh, from friends of mine that are are giving these courses. You know, it's springtime, education explosion. Get out there, make things happen. So I really hope that you've enjoyed this with Curtis Stone, and then enjoyed the pod on uh, Friday with Dr. Moshe Daniel. And uh, people are signing up for both of these courses. I do receive a little bit on my side of this um, if you guys sign up through the affiliate links. So I really appreciate that. If you want to support the podcast uh, directly through donation, you can go to TopherHQ.com. We will have our regularly scheduled uh, podcast this Friday with uh, Dylan Sokoshio. And uh, it's a monster. (laughs) It's four hours long. So we're going to split it up. And uh, Dylan is actually going to give the uh, Biocharisma podcast listeners a discount on a bunch of his products. So that's really kind of cool. Uh, Our numbers keep growing. It's awesome. You guys uh, have been wonderful in the chat and uh, keep it coming. Keep sharing. And uh, I'm continuing to work on really great guests. Uh, we will also have uh, George Weissman, and uh, if, if, if Dr. Narcolongo and I can uh, agree on our, on our uh, astrological cosmology, we'll definitely uh, wrangle up another uh, pod here. So thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you this Friday.